When we decided to do this series, which lasts the month of November, um, Andrew's sharing next month, our exec pastor, I'll be sharing the last week, 26th of November, and then we are out of here for three months. You won't see me or hear from me uh, over that time. Thank you very much. When we decided to do this series, Better Together, we went back and looked at a spiritual growth campaign that we did a few years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. Just out of interest, how many of you were here when we did that series, The Purpose Driven Life? Just want to have a look. Wow. Probably not even a third of you, a quarter of you. Not many at all. We may do that again then. That was based on the book, um, uh, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. If you've never read it, it's one of the best succinct statements of what God's purpose for your life is. Beautifully written, simple yet profound. He has a, a, a gift in doing that, Rick Warren. And these Sunday talks that we're doing now are based around the chapters in the book under the title, You Were Formed for God's Family, which may help you. And I'm going to read to you first off from these verses in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase and then a little bit from uh, Ephesians 2 verse 19 in the NIV. Let's listen to this. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God, in which God is quite a home. And then verse 19 of the NIV. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. You and I are not called only to believe, but we are called to belong. You belong here. I understand the sentiment, but if you've heard me before, you know that I don't like songs that tell me all I need is Jesus. Now, I do understand when it comes to salvation, there's only one Savior. His name is, he's the only way, the truth, and the light of the Father. We believe in that. But when it comes to purpose and destiny, and let me use this word and then explain it, sanctification, that is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, which is the will of God for you whilst you're on this earth. For that to take place... It can't happen in isolation. It's never a solo job. It has to be done in fellowship, in community, in togetherness. In the book of Genesis, Adam in the Garden of Eden seemingly has everything. He has all the beauty of creation. There's no sin. He has God to himself, perfect communication, no barriers in that place there. And yet this is what it says. It says, it's not good. So there's a not good, even in paradise. It says, it's not good for man to be alone. So God creates someone to join Adam in the garden. Now, you know, if you know the story, 
That's someone was Eve. So the thought could be, ah, to solve the not good for Adam, God created marriage. No. The answer was not marriage. The answer was community. If the answer was marriage, then Jesus was never complete. Jesus was never whole. Because Jesus, in case you don't know, never married. He was single. It didn't stop him from being the Messiah. He wasn't lonely or inadequate or ruled out. Maybe in some churches today he would have been from leadership, but not to be the Messiah. He wasn't incomplete. The answer was not marriage. The answer was community. And any healthy marriage must fit into the context of the wider community. So it wasn't marriage that was the answer. It was community. The same for the Apostle Paul, by the way. He was single, probably maybe a widower. But he says in one place, in Corinthians, because of the present circumstances, how about this? He said, it's better for you that you're like me, that you stay single. So my point is this. You and I were created for community. We need to belong. Now, some people have discovered this. They realize their need for community when a crisis hits. Here's some advice from a pastor who's been around a while. Don't wait for the crisis to get into community. Don't wait. Don't think, well, one day. No, now is the time. Because we were fashioned for fellowship. And none of us, none of us can fulfill our God-given purpose on our own. We need each other. In this last two years, how about this? These last two years, since we moved into this building, which have been here two years now, we have grown by 48%. That's our Sunday attendance, 48%. That's good, isn't it? That's why you're all going crazy like you are there. <clears throat> Excuse me while I have my lem sip. We have grown by 48%. Our goal is to grow by 100% by 2020. We want to see across our three services on a Sunday, a thousand people in regular attendance, which means the church will have to be bigger than a thousand because, let's be honest, people don't come every week these days. They come... On average, 1.8, they say. So we're going to have to be over the 1,000. But we want to see 1,000 regularly on Sunday mornings by 2020, worshipping here on, on Sunday, all day rather. Now, we don't just want bums on seats. As beautiful as your bums are, if I may say that from the platform. Just said it. We're not just about forming a crowd. We want to make disciples. Did you hear that? We want to make disciples. We want to cooperate with God in his great grand redemptive plan, which is making disciples. That is fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is populating planet Earth and Cambridge and the districts around with people who are like Jesus. Not just forming a crowd, but forming a people. A people that are like God. And although our faith is personal, I gave my life to Christ personally. No one could do it for me. It was never meant to be private. We can't be all we're meant to be without each other. Listen to this, Romans 12, verse 5. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
C.S. Lewis noted that membership is a Christian theme. From those verses I read, both use the word member. But in today's world, we've emptied it of its original meaning. So for me, I was witnessing my mom in the world a few weeks ago. And while I was there, I went to a store and I bought something. And as I went to the cashier, she said to me, do you want to become a member, sir? And I said to her, what does that mean? If I become a member, what do I get? What are the advantages? She said to me, well, you go on our email list and you get notifications of special offers. So I said to her, you want me to become a member so you can get me to spend more money? And she just kind of smiled and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, thank you. Being a member of the body of Christ is nothing like that. The Apostle Paul, for him, when he talked about being a member of the body, meant being a vital organ of a living body, an indispensable part, an interconnected part of the body of Christ. And the church is a body, not a building. I'll probably never deal with this one fully. I, do never, I never call this building a church. I call it the church building. I know it's one of my foibles. It's just the church is the people. We belong to God and we belong to each other. And for the organs of your body to fulfill their purpose, they must be connected and so must you. Being a member of the church is not inconsequential or casual. Jesus said this. I love these words. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean we just stand our ground, by the way. Gates don't move. We go against the gates. We have the authority against the gates of hell, the authority of hell. So I will build. The church is indestructible and will exist for eternity. And no believer can say, I don't need the church. You need the church and the church needs you. Did you hear that? And one description, my favorite description of the church in the New Testament is that we are the bride of Christ. My wife was here last week speaking, remember those of you who were here, and she showed some photographs of us when we first moved to Cambridge. I'm going to show you a picture of me and my bride on our wedding day. Take a look at this. Isn't that lovely? All hazy and around the edges. That's taken place on a bit of waste ground outside the church building that we'd just done up. We, I was cutting the grass the night before on that very place there. And that's me and her. That's me with uh, hair and, uh, yeah, dark hair. And I look at that and I go, all oh, gooey at the knees. That's because of my wife, not because of me. That's my bride. If any of you, Josh, pick on you. If you speak negative of my bride, I'm going to get very vexed in spirit. One of the hallmarks of this church, and if you want to join us, we would love you to join, but what you know the culture is this. We don't speak negative of the bride of Christ. We don't try and knock the bride of the churches or this church. We want to speak well of it. Why wouldn't you? Hamish is sitting over here. Look, Remember Mal Fletcher a few weeks ago? Those of you around picked on him. He asked him, he said, is there anyone special in your life? And Hamish over here, he shook his head. He's only been married a year. So this is his time to, to, to redeem himself. Here's Lizzie. Lizzie, would you like to come around? Applause, please, for Lizzie. This is Hamish's bride. 
how would Hamish feel if I just say to her, you know, we're in conversation one day, and excuse me, why, why on earth? Lizzie, you're an intelligent young woman. Why do you wear odd socks all the time? You weirdo. And, and is, it, is, it, is that hair blonde? Is it dyed? Is that real or is it dyed? <laughs> of course. And I'm terrified when he walks out. He's, he's, he's going to protect his bride. Don't speak ill of the church. Speak it up. Speak well for the bride of Christ. God commands this. Listen to this verse, 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Love your spiritual family. It's a decision. In the New Testament, when church is mentioned, apart from a couple of notable exceptions, one I just read, I will build my church. Whenever the word church is mentioned, it's always about a church in a locality. It's always about people in Corinth or Rome or Ephesus or Thessalonica. It's about a geographical location. In other words, it can be located. It's not just the universal. You need to connect to a local church. Now, don't think as local it has to be the bottom of your road. That's not what it means. It's somewhere which is accessible to you, and I don't mind if people drive, because we have cars these days. We didn't have that then. Or, or if you want to land your helicopter somewhere to come to church, that's fine. <laughs> we'll build a helipad for you if you pay for it. It doesn't mean it needs to be very, very local. It means where you connect where you're part of. That's the New Testament. The New Testament assumes membership of such and a part of the local body of believers. Rick Warren writes this, a Christian without a church, home, is like an organ without a body, a sheep without a flock, or a child without a family. The only Christians in the New Testament that were not members were those that had been put out of the church for gross sins. You need to belong. Now, I want to just take this next 20 minutes or so to then talk about how can you, how can you make this church your home? Now, some of you may have done it. You're all right. Well, listen up anyway, but some of you, you need to make some changes. Here's how you make this church your home. I'm going to say in two words, which can be reduced to one word, a, a Bible word. Here's the two words. Share life. The Bible word is fellowship. It's an old-fashioned word, that one, fellowship. We use it sometimes about what church do you fellowship at? Where do you attend? Or sometimes you'll hear the term, we fellowship after the service. It means basically there's refreshments coming. That's not necessarily fellowship. It might be. But it's not a shallow word. It's a rich and deep word that has to do with connectivity, with joined life, with shared life. And we want to say to you, share your life. Now, don't worry. We're not saying you have to share your life with everyone. But you do have to share your life with someone. The Bible word is fellowship. It's experiencing life together. Now, when it comes to experiencing life, sharing life, it's better done in a small group. This is one of the ways where small is beautiful. 
it's great. You can worship together in a large group. The larger, the better for me. I love the inspiration of worshiping in a large group. But fellowship takes place in a small group. When it comes to fellowship, size really does matter. It's richer and fuller, this experience in life together. Jesus told, chose 12 disciples to invest his life into over three years plus. Why did he choose? Why did he choose 12? Why 12 disciples? Because he knew you have a group any bigger than that, and you're struggling to connect. Someone will drop off the end. Whereas he knew a small group, we can have community, we can have real fellowship. Now, I also want to just say this. It's not a guarantee because it's a small group that fellowship takes place. We're not saying to you, hey, these are all groups where community takes place. No, we're creating context where community can take place. But it's still down to you and I to, as it says in Acts 2 verse 42, devote ourselves. I can't make you have fellowship and community. You choose by how you act. They devoted themselves. All we can do, and we want to do this responsibly before God, is because we know you can't grow up into the fullness of Christ, is because we want to make disciples, is we can create contexts where community can take place. But we need to step out in order to connect. So I'm going to give you three things that I believe are essential for real fellowship to take place. Here's the first one. Real fellowship requires vulnerability. Where do you hang out where you can be real? Oh, I've heard this over the years many times. Christians struggle to be real. Uh -uh. People struggle to be real. It's not just a Christian problem. People always have their guard up. They're careful. They're watching more so in our days, I think, than ever. But ever since Adam and Eve fell, they've been covering up, and we cover up. We're on the back foot rather than leaning in. I went, went to a gym in the Wirral when I visited my mum again, and I'm, in, I'm a member of DW, which is down the road here, and they have these DWs all over the place. I went to this DW in, in Bromber in the village, and I, I went in, and I was in the gym. I thought, this is a much nicer gym in the way it's run than the one in Cambridge. The sweat was being wiped off quicker. The hoover was out more often. The, the staff in the gym who worked there was smiling. So I'm, I'm going to go and tell them. So I went to the receptionist and I said, uh, are you the manager? She said, no. She didn't just say no. She went, no. She said, and then she said, why? I said, I'd like to just say something about the gym. And I could see, she, well, you can tell me, she said. So I said, um, well, I just want to say how well it's run. How good you're doing. So it's so much better than the one in Cambridge. Showers are working. It's, uh, it's just so much nice. It doesn't smell the same. It smells sweeter. And she said, oh, oh, thank you. And then I was there every day. I went every day when I was looking after my mom because mom doesn't have a shower. And the DW has a shower. So I went every day there in the morning for a shower. And, and that lady then, every good morning, sir. Welcome. She was off her guard then. Which struck me how on the back foot. Some of you know, I've told this story here when our youngest daughter, Megan, was going off to Australia earlier this year. 
how I wanted to say some deep and meaningful words to her. I just want, before she went, I, I prayed the priestly blessing over her. I, 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 I just said, go, go for it, Meg. And I just want to say one more thing, one more thing that will last and be meaningful as she goes to the other side of the world. What can I say? And I'm sobbing, I'm sobbing more than everyone else, all the other family there, I've lost it. And I, through my sobs, some of you heard me say this before, I just said, Meg, 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 don't, don't, don't trust anyone. They're the final words that I spoke to Megan as she went to the other side of the world. And that resulted in some interesting conversation within our family. I just want to tell you, I struggle trusting people. Really struggle. Honestly, nine out of ten people that I've trusted have proved trustworthy. Nine out of ten, I've been okay. Why do I feel then so nervous? Because of what? I don't know, by the way. I'm going to go to therapy and see how I get. Going on a three-month sabbatical. Uh, I'm not going on social media. We're coming off all the phone numbers changing, the uh, um, uh, emails changing. I'm not going to be looking at Instagram or anything like that for three whole months. And then we'll find out whether I'm a control freak or not, won't we? So we'll see. Why do I not, even though it's one out of ten? So what do I have to do? I have to trust. I have to step beyond the border of my vulnerability, and I have to go into that vortex of chaos and say, I'm going to trust again. Because if I don't trust again, I won't truly live. Because without community and connection, that's not living. I could exist in my little bubble and protect myself and build my wall, but I have to step over and say, no, I'm going to trust again. And I may, I may get disappointed. So be it. I've got to just go through that disappointment because I won't truly live. I won't truly be all I'm meant to be because no great work, by the way. Thank you for the honoring last week. But the reality is no great work gets built by one person. There may be someone who leads it, but we need one another. And we have to trust. And we must push through and experience real fellowship. Otherwise, you won't really live. Listen to this. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. There's healing in community. There are some things you'll never get healed of fully till you tell someone else about it. And I've, I, hear me, not everyone. I'm not going to get Ricardo up here today and confess his sins to you all. But he needs to confess his sins to someone. That wasn't a word of knowledge, by the way. We, we need to do it to someone. Some of you heard me tell the story before when I was a young man in the church I was leading in the Wirral, and I'm in, in my little car, it was a mini. My mum and dad had given me mini clubman estates. Sexy baby. And I was driving along and I had this lady on the front row, on the front row, on the front seats. <laughs> yeah, we had rows in that room. This lady on the front row. I'm driving along, taking her home, and she turns to me and she says, um, I've been having lustful thoughts about you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm in the car <laughs> and I didn't know what to do I remember to this day all, all I did was held the, held the steering wheel even tighter and I said that's nice <laughs> and I dropped her off as quick as I could that's nice should she have confessed her sin to me no 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 but she should have confessed it to someone 
perhaps another woman who she could have gone to and said, hey, I've been having lustful thoughts about Steve Campbell. Can, I, can we pray about it? And that other woman might have said, yeah, me too, let's pray. We could have had a recovery group. <laughs> you have to, you, you have to, you have to confess to someone, but you don't have to confess to everyone. Number two, let's move on quickly. Get those thoughts out of your mind. Number two, real fellowship includes giving. Listen to these words of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you notice which way round that is? We've always said this, but I want you to grasp this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure and not the other way around. And wherever you put your treasure, your heart, your passions will follow. Question, what do you really treasure? What do you really treasure? We have this phrase, don't we? I heard it yesterday. Time is precious. You define what is important to you by what you dedicate your time to. Again, I say, real fellowship takes time. Recently, I was in a situation that, the uh, uh, best way to describe it is relationally challenged. I was having some issues with someone. And they rang and I saw their name come on my phone. It's all right, it's no one in this room. And so I had a decision to make because the name's on my phone. And I'm struggling with my relationship with them. So here's what I did. This is your pastor. I ignored it. I just let it ring out. I thought, if they want to talk to me, they can leave a message. That's how mature I am. And then I went into the kitchen because I was in my study and I said to Angie, look, so-and-so's called. Huh. And she said to me, ring them. And I rang them, man under authority. Hey, how you doing? Hey, we're going to be in the area in a, few, in a while. We'd like to come see you, you know. Oh, yeah, great. Are you free? And I knew when they asked me, was I free, that I was. So I said, just, just let me look in my diary. And I knew I was free. Yeah, okay. So they came, walked through the door. The longer they were there, we ended up having tea, coffee, stay for dinner. Let's have curry. Went to Milton Curry shop. The longer they were there, the more my heart melted to them. They said some stuff. I said, oh, that's why you did that. We didn't, we didn't confess our faults right, right there and then, but my heart melted, and I realized I just needed some time with them. Fellowship takes time. And then they had to go, and so I hugged them. said, thanks for coming. You know, they were out the door. And then I turned around. My wife's standing in the hall, hand on hip. Thanks for coming, she said. Great to see you. They were her words. She was repeating me. Just takes time. Give. Oh, and if I may advise you, do it over a meal anytime you can. Food's good. What about this? Let's get on to this one. What's precious to you? Giving. What about your money? What about your money? Now, thank you. All, all of you that are part of this church, and if you don't know this, this is a rule here. We don't mind talking about money. Well, I don't, anyway. 
We just talk about it. If Jesus talked about money so much, two-thirds of the, the parables are about money, then I don't think we should be ashamed. We're not going to make it. We were at a conference recently where they say, oh, in the British culture, we don't like to talk about money, honestly. We are a kingdom culture first and foremost, not a British culture. And so we're not going to succumb to the gods of this world that are afraid to talk about money. We talk about money quite freely. This is what we teach here. And we're going to do this today in our discovery track if you want to stay and hear more. We teach that the first 10% of the money that you earn belongs to the Lord. Oh, can we debate it? No, that's what we teach. We teach that. The first 10%, the cream off the top, not what's left at the end of the month. The first 10% of all that comes into you by way of earnings belongs, you notice my word? Belongs to the Lord. Just lean in. Tithing doesn't make you generous. You know, I, I tithe them generous. No, you're not. Tithing belongs to the Lord. It's not even that you're giving it to him. It just belongs to him. So tithing doesn't mean I'm a generous person. You can be generous above and beyond the tithe, but that's the first thing to do. Robert Morris recently said this, all tithers, in his experience, say they are blessed. That's my experience. Then he added this, all non-tithers say they can't afford to tithe. I found that to be true as well. You will be blessed. There's a, a protection that comes. The second thing we teach is this, that tithe must be administered by somebody else. Otherwise, you're controlling it still. And the whole issue of the tithe is, I'm not in control. So you take, if I may say this, your sticky little fingers off, which is controlling it. You say, no, let someone else control it. And we teach, number three, that the place where that's administered is by the local church. That's why we give most of our money into the local church. We give above and beyond in offerings and such like, ground level and compassion and world vision and calf we give to, but we give most of our money to the local church. But it's administered by other people. You don't control it. We teach that that is the local church. Many of you, thank you, you make a monthly statement with your finance that you're putting God first by tithing. That's what you're saying. If the first 10% goes out, you say, I'm putting God first. Thank God he gave you another 90% to decide what to do. He's kind, isn't he? It's gone a little bit too quiet. Make a bit of noise. Some of you, some of you, not all of you, so if this doesn't fit you, don't listen. Some of you don't give to God first every month. And therefore you've made a choice, a decision to say, this month I'm choosing not to put you first. How do I know that? Look at this graph behind me. Here's the, type, the graph behind me. Here is the graph behind me. Ah, that's our giving for this year. My favorite month was March. Look at that. We've been above. That blue line is where we had our faith target. And it's done great. Until some of you decided not to put God first in August and September. Where did you go? What happened? Look at that. That's a bit of a blow. That's about four or five thousand pounds every month. Thank God for October, hey? 
We're back again. You come back to serving the Lord first. Well done. I'm making a bit of a joke about it, but please, can I ask you to be consistent in your devotion to God through the local church? Because if you don't give, you'll never feel like you belong. Do you hear me? If you don't give, you will never feel like you belong. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. There's only one place in the Bible where God says to test him. One place. Check it out. Malachi 3, verse 10. It's in regard to the tithe. On your seats today, I'm going to give you three ways to respond today. On your seats is a standing order form. To avoid that dip, some of you just do it on standing order, guys. It's the best way. Set it up yourself if you want. Some of you may want a tithe trial. Right on the top of this, tithe trial. Three months. Make sure we got all your details. And we will give you back your money after three months if you feel you're worse off. Money back guarantee. We'll keep it and we'll make a note. Tithe trial. As long as it's new. No, no, we're not doing it for people who exist in tithing. That, that would be cheating. So if you're new... I want trial it, trial it. Test me in this, says the Lord. And let's remember, when you give of your tithe, that's not generosity. That's just where you start. Oh, and only you had a pay rise this year. Don't forget to change things. Looks like for us in our 2018 budget, we're not giving pay rises because our income doesn't, with that kind of dip, doesn't give us confidence in where we go forward. But if you've had a pay rise... Put it back in. Just be diligent in that way. We decided with our vision offering, just moving on from the tithe, that we would double tithe every month into the vision offering here, but plan the twice a year offering to give a certain figure, and we would never go below that. We decided last few weeks ago that we'd do it over two months in order to increase it slightly, so we gave a 10% increase on our normal vision offering. It was at a time when we were struggling in some ways, but we wanted to do that. And then Rihanna on last week took the offering, and she took it so well, I'm inspired again. And I said to Ange, can we give another 10%? We gave another 10%. So in other words, we gave 20% over into our vision offering here. I do not, we do not believe in a prosperity gospel. In fact, prosperity and gospel are two words that shouldn't really go together. We believe in a God who prospers, but it's not a give so as you get. We believe in a provision gospel where God provides the only begotten Son to save us. And then everything else he provides for us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So we believe God provides. But I just want to tell you this. We gave another 10% more. And in this last week, unbeknown to me in different ways it was going to come, we've received back five times the amount that we gave into the vision offering in ways we hadn't expected and I couldn't have anticipated. And my only thought was, Lord, why didn't we give more? You'll never feel you belong unless you give. Finally, this. Real fellowship involves grace. I'm reading a book by Benny... Um, Brené, Benny, Brené Brown. I think she's a Christian, actually. I'd recommend it on vulnerability and uh, I've got the title of it, it's Wilderness. What is it? Braving the Wilderness. I've only just started reading it. 
One of the things she says in the beginning about belonging is the joy of being in communities where we're not all the same. Belonging isn't we all have to be made out of ticky-tacky and we all look just the same. And that takes grace. That means that when you make a mistake, we don't rub it in. We rub it out. That means that we don't hold grudges, but we let them. You, you'll never be a giver unless you can be a forgiver. You've got to be a forgiver before you can be a giver. What do we need to If you've been here more than three weeks, <clears throat> more than three weeks, you'll have found a reason to have to forgive someone. Because this church is made up of imperfect people. We have to show grace. We all make mistakes. When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they do not give up in despair, Ephesians 2, 19. Colossians 3, 13, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It doesn't mean, by the way, it's not going to take time for trust to grow again. Forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, now I trust you and I make myself totally open. No, you have to build that again. But we should show grace so that we can be a community that's all different. And yet our oneness is in Christ. Show grace. Show grace. So three things. Musicians, you can come back. Get real. Determine, I'm going to connect to C3. You can do that via these C3 groups. Is it time for you to lead or to get involved? And if it doesn't work out, try another one. We're going to do them termly so as that you're not stuck for the rest of your life there. If you don't like it, you can get out after a term. Secondly, this. Give your time and treasure to all that we're doing. And you'll feel at home. And thirdly, this. Forgive and show grace and ask for forgiveness. As we finish, communion's still available here. And if you need to show grace to someone and forgive them, come and take communion again. You can't take it too often. Come and just pray with them. Even at the end, when we're all milling around, just say, I need to, I need to just seal this. Seal this and say, come on, let's show grace to one another. We want to be a community of grace. Let's stand together. Let's sing this last song.